a guest everywhere. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 131 was recorded live September 20th, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson. Here are just a few of the stories we're going to be covering this week. We have Leonardo does not like to get wet. We have uh, sea lions making mega dives. And we have a female Jack Sparrow. But before we get started in the news, I want to welcome my co-host for this week. We have Mac, our dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. Glad to be here. Excellent. And we also have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just great. Thank you. And we are approaching, what, past halfway through September? It seems like just yesterday we were in the beginning of July. Where did the tomorrow's, season go? I think tomorrow's the official first day of fall. Or Oh. Is it really? It is just, time is just ticking away. Just well, moving. at least water is not hard yet. No. No, I think we've got hopefully a little time before that. Who knows the way this year's been. Everything seems to be a little bit early. I'm out here in wine country, and it's it's uh, you can smell the grapes already have started to turn, which seems to be just a little early. But you know, I guess if I don't put it in the calendar, I would never know when that actually happens. Well, let's go ahead and get started on into the news. Let me get this first article pasted into the chat room. This is one of those where there's a lot of activity on this in the last two or three days. And it seems to be a story we see more and more often where divers are recovering cameras and the photos on the memory sticks are still viewable. Okay, why didn't that come up? Okay, let's try that one again. A scuba diver is seeking to reunite holiday makers of the camera that was saved from the sea. Mark Milburn spotted a Samsung camera on the rocks about 10 meters or 30 feet underwater when he took it home to dry. Incredibly, the memory card was still working. He downloaded more than 800 photographs. It looked like somebody had done a an around-the-world tour. They had uh, spots from uh, a battle with Darth Vader and Hogwarts Express. They said the uh, camera was recovered as they were doing an ecology dive. It was among the 30 kilograms or 66 pounds of waste collected by divers carrying, about, carrying out an underwater beach clean. They also found plastic bags, cans, golf balls, and an iPhone. And they have a photo of the person who lost the camera. <laughs> kind of a unique photo. And then it's not, I don't know, I, won't, I want to know how long it took them for this to happen, but it seems like just a few days later after that made it into the news, they were reunited. The family who had lost the 800 photos of their camera uh, was able to get it back. You say lucky? Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, when you get, uh, I don't know what you call this, this is not television coverage, internet coverage like yeah. this, uh, it seems to make its way around. It was uh, Paul. Cornwall, now, is that England? I think that's So he England. lost it in England, but he, he was diving in Florida and obviously in uh, New Zealand. Yeah, it looked like an around-the-world tour. Yeah. Yep, they said it was uh, had 800 precious memories on it. Uh, Paul, let's see, was it Mick Gone? 47, a music producer from Helford in Cornwall, was stunned after being handed the camera and memory card nearly two months after his daughter accidentally dropped it overboard on a yacht trip on July 25th. Incredibly, it was found by diver Mark Milberg carrying out an underwater beach clean in Falmouth, Cornwall. Let's see. Uh, after, after an appeal by Mr. Milburn, who runs Atlantic Scuba Diving Center, the family has been reunited with the photos. And I give uh, details about the family. He says, it's amazing what a chain of events. You couldn't make it up. It's beyond belief. He said, uh, there were over 800 family snaps on there. I never thought I'd see them again. I mean, we can go on holiday again and take the pictures, but never some pictures of my youngest daughter's first school play were on there. They were irreplaceable. We couldn't replicate that. So I'm just so grateful, Mark, and his fellow divers. Two good lessons to be learned. One, make the first photo on the camera a please return to with a name and address or contact information. And number two, 
download off the camera every once in a while, so it's not only in one place. Now, now does that go for video as well as? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a lesson learned through experience. That's the greatest teacher. <laughs> yeah. You lose a disc full of video, and you'll learn to download and empty those cards more regularly. So that that almost sounds like that was something recent. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes the school of hard knocks is the best teacher. That's right. It's like you're supposed to look for the submerged buoy before you hear it go clunk, clunk, clunk in your prop. <laughs> well, that's okay. I, I, I still haven't found my dive camera yet. <laughs> I wonder if somebody did find it out there at 16. It would have to be. That It was positively buoyant. It floated up. I can't believe all this time it's still floating there in the weeds. Did you have any pictures on it? Yeah, we had uh, a few. Not a lot, but I didn't do the trick with having the, my name on it. Any recognizable photos? Uh, if we'd have seen the pictures. We didn't know. Of a, of a guy in a mask and a BCD. And we some of the photos. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, you've seen one scuba diver, you've seen them all. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it was in Lake 16, so it could have been. Well, maybe you didn't even see the scuba diver. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's true there, Jim, about what you just said. Seeing one scuba diver, you've seen them all. Well, I mean, there are certain scuba divers we like to see more than others. I'm sure that's true. I was, I was thinking something along that line. <laughs> you know, up, that's up a in monkey uh, diver, not a scuba diver. Yeah. It's like if you've seen one naked lady, it's the same as all. I don't think so. Well, next to are more from the entertainment world. Uh, you can tell that uh, James Cameron is out there promoting his re-release of the movie Titanic because there's snippets going out about every two days. This latest one was an interview that he had with the Brisbane Times. James Cameron said that Leonardo DiCaprio hated to get wet while filming the Titanic. DiCaprio, who, if you saw the movie, remember he played Jack Dawson. Uh, who eventually dies at the end. I guess I should have warned a spoiler. He said that uh, it became harder to work with DiCaprio in scenes with the ship once the ship hit the iceberg. Uh, he said uh, DiCaprio was like a Siamese cat trying to get in the water. I mean, he made a huge production out of getting in the water every time, and it didn't matter. The water could be 80 degrees, and it normally was. We put all the breath in afterwards. He hated to get wet, or he pretended to hate to get wet. It turned out in the last day of shooting, we had to do an underwater scene, and he said, I'm a certified diver. I wanted to wring his neck. <laughs> I guess he just didn't want to mess up his hair. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, that's, uh, I don't know. I mean, could you be a scu uh, certified diver, you know, get through the whole class and hate water? I or got maybe a buddy it... who's uh, lost to diving. But he hates anything below 80 degrees plus. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know, maybe it's part of negotiation. If you make it seem much harder than it is, then uh, maybe they pay you more. That, that, isn't that how it works at work? If you whine and cry that you get more money? It hasn't worked yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then another actor who I think almost makes DiCaprio look masculine is uh, Justin Timberlake. Almost. Almost. Uh, he recalls his shark horror. Uh, the singer, Justin Timberlake, uh, uh, was with his fiance Jessica Beal, and she encouraged him to face his fear of sharks during a scuba diving trip in Australia. Uh, he got cold feet when he spotted a shark circling his boat and as the actress prepared to jump in and he nearly pulled off, pulled out of the dive uh, down under. When he was on uh, Jay Leno's show, he says, it's not so much I'm afraid of sharks, it's just that if, I, if we were in the ocean and I encountered one, I'd probably do the same thing everybody else would do, which is flap and scream like a little girl. Why does that not surprise me? He said, I had never gone scuba diving before I met Jessica, and she actually talked me into it. And I said, I've got one rule. If we're on a boat and I see a shark, I'm not going in the water. It's not happening. Uh, so I think the moral of the story is, is that women can get you to do quite a bit. <laughs> so if you've got a dive center, I think that's telling you what you need to do is hire a bunch of uh, attractive actresses and have them be your recruiting. Yeah. Think that would work. Uh, we, we lost Jim for a minute, so if we drop off, we'll connect back again. While we're waiting to be disconnected, we'll get on to the next one, How Sea Lions Make Mega Dives. This one was uh, posted from Paris. Uh, I love how all these, these news articles go around the world. It's posted in Paris, but it's, from, it's about uh, scientists in California, and they have shed light on a um, marine mystery, and it involves diving manuals. Ma manuals. 
<laughs> you got to watch out for those diving manuals. Uh, mammals, they can hurt for food at great depth. Hunt birds. Okay. Is Jim back yet? I'm back. <laughs> You're back. Okay. Re- researchers who are led by Bridget McDonald at Scripps Ocean asked, Ocean. I, I think we're just making a blooper reel. Uh, Scripps Institution of Oceanography netted female adult California sea lions, anesthetized the animal, and fitted them with loggers to record oxygen pressures in its main artery and the time and depths to which it dove. The 82-kilo uh, or 180-pound sea lions were then released, and the data from its movements, over 48 dives uh, were recorded. Each lasted about six minutes, and it was set by, back by radio transmitter. At a depth around 225 meters, or 731 feet, there's a di- di- dynamic, dramatic plunge in the sea lion's oxygen pressure, signaling it had collapsed its lungs to shut off additional air. Um, the lung collapse and diving mammal. <laughs> Maybe I should have somebody else read this. Uh, uh, 300 meter. Uh, okay, where am I? Natural action, which. Uh, diving mammals in a natural action, which is air processing uh, elastic balloon-like structures attached to the bronchi, are depleted and reduce the size of the lungs. The sea lion kept on diving, reaching a depth of 300 meters or 994 feet before beginning its ascent. At around 247 meters or 802 feet, the oxygen pressure rose again, pointing to reinflation of the lung, and then it fell off slightly before the sea lion breached the surface. They said if the sea lion had a collapsed lung, which uh, where did it keep its precious reserve of air to help it survive its ascent? The answer is in the upper airwaves, the uh, bronchial bronchioli and the trachea, whose tissue cannot dissolve air into the bloodstream. During the ascent phase, the sea lion draws in this pocket of air, the study suggests. It's pretty slick. It is. Well, and I've heard that about free divers, that free divers have something that happens that's similar. <clears throat> Um, they said it's still outstripped. I did uh, emperor penguin. Yeah, that might no more than 1,600 feet down in the yeah. elephant seal. Yep. 5,200 feet. Yes, that's that is amazing. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean, they go like twice as deep as a submarine. <laughs> that's that's something else. That just yeah. need, means we need to have flexible submarines. We've been looking at it wrong. We need those. The submarines just collapse. <laughs> well. You know, if you had a gel substance inside of the submarine, it's non-compressible or minimal compression. Seems like you could really go down a lot deeper. Yeah, but you but you you wouldn't have a uh, zero atmosphere or a one atmosphere inside, would you? Well, why not? Well, I'm I'm not sure. It's something to think about, though. What if you had a gelled environment inside of the submarine body that was thicker than air but less than water? That still would seems like that would make a difference because I'm just looking at the body of an animal. Just like ours is what ninety percent plus water. Yeah, it's just food for thought. It's it's just an idea. God, mile deep for an elephant seal. That is amazing. A mile. I'm imagining if they're going that deep, there must be some good eating or something down there. Yeah, krill or whatever they eat. Well, I'll warn everybody this next link that I just sent. It plays a video, and you can't freaking stop the video. Uh, this one is the Vasa. The famed 17th century warship in Sweden is deteriorating fast. Swedish scientists say the 17th century warship raised nearly intact from Stockholm's harbor to become one of the country's top tourist attractions is deteriorating faster than expected. It's been known for years that the Vasa was decaying because the chemical process has begun after it was raised in 1961 and placed in a museum. But scientists are struggling to find out how or not only find out how, but ways to stop the corrosion. And a new study shows that they're happening quicker than they previously thought. The strength of the wood has degraded at least 50% since 1961. About 1 million visitors a year admire the intricate wood carvings of the Vasa, which sank in a maiden voyage in 1628. Mac, are you surprised by that? No, not really. One, I would certainly take pictures. And dimensions really quick, so when it goes to hell in a handbasket. But by the same token, I still don't know why you can't do injection into the wood to preserve it or change its structure. You know what I'm saying? Like they, yeah. you can do. Well, I kind of thought they were doing that. It seems like I watched a video, and, and maybe it was an older video, but they had the whole area with, like, water running, moistening. Is that just all they're doing that to preserve it? They're not doing well, anything? That's all they're doing. They're just creating more rot. Yeah. Uh, and I probably need to do a little bit more research on that. 
But but there's a good number of ships they have on this by other places. And I, I think I reviewed on this, looked it up, and they were saying, how come they don't talk to some of the other people who don't have this issue? Because they are using or injecting chemicals within the wood itself. Yeah, that'd be, uh, it would make sense if you, you've got to put something in because what's happened with that wood being underwater is it absorbed water. And then even though it's refrigerated and preserved to a certain extent, wood will break down over time. I mean, even if you've got an old antique desk or something around, uh, I don't believe that's at its peak strength. So it does. Well, I know if you take a piece of wood and you polyurethane it, it'll last a long time. Well, certainly. But that's because you've treated it. And if they I haven't didn't inject anything, anything, I just took the water, I mean, took it out, dried it, and urethaned it. It's yeah, well, that, prevented it from getting air, and therefore it didn't get air. <clears throat> it's not going to deteriorate. <clears throat> this next one is getting to the bottom of a shipwreck mystery. Volunteer science divers of the National Association of Black Scuba Divers are helping Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary unlock the mystery of a 20th century shipwreck off Key Largo, Florida. They're conducting research this week that will build upon past studies and build maritime archaeologists or bring maritime archaeologists a step closer with naming the wreckage. The shallow coral reefs off Florida Keys have claimed countless ships over the centuries and contributed to a once thriving salvage industry. The mystery wreck rests amid the reef known as the Elba. It is joined in close proximity by two known shipwrecks, the USS Arkansas and the city of Washington, the remains of the steel-held ship rest in 25 feet of water, six miles off Key Largo, and have been dubbed as Mike's Wreck, named such after the employee of the local dive shop. Mike's Wreck? Mike's Wreck. That makes that sense. Does that mean we're going to have to have a Bob's Wreck and a Dave's Wreck up here? I think so. I'm all for that. Yeah. You guys go out there and find some damn wrecks. I guess we better. Yeah, we, we need some more names. Well, we've got plenty of names. We just need some more wrecks to go with them. Well, yeah. <laughs> So, so hopefully they they find. I don't. I, what I didn't get from this was this wreck something new and unique, or are they just documenting a rubble wreck and doing it for practice. Well, steel hull. It ain't that old. And I'm looking at the pictures. Yeah, they they say a little bit farther down. They think the mystery shipwreck could be the Hannah M. Bell, a British steamship that grounded in the reef in April of 1911. But they uh, say they need to conduct additional surveys and research. A greater appreciation of our shared maritime heritage. So by being able to say what that is, that really, you gain a greater appreciation of the heritage, you think? Right, you have a whole Shipwrecks you can play with. Yeah, that too. That too? Yeah. <laughs> Good visit out there, I'll tell you that. And here's one for the books. A woman yelling, I'm Jack Sparrow, hijacks a ferry. And uh, if you don't know, Jack Sparrow was played by Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Uh, a drunk British woman, according to the UK Telegraph, uh, was attempting to steal a passenger ferry and randomly crash it into other boats. She's claiming to be Jack Sparrow when she did it. The newspaper reports that Alison Whelan from Devon, England, climbed onto the more double-decker ferry, unmoored it, and smashed it in a number, a number of other vessels as she drifted away. But what's the best part? Whelan was reported saying, I'm Jack Sparrow, and I'm a pirate, as she stole the boat. The article says Whelan had been drinking Lambrini, which is an alcoholic beverage made from pears, and eating poisonous, hallucinogenic plants before boarding the ferry. That might explain it. I don't think that's DOT approved for uh, boat navigation, isn't it? Probably not. She, she could lose her no, six-pack license. I don't like think it. they would like the captain to be doing that. <laughs> well, since she really wasn't driving it, not under power, I don't know if you can get her for DUI. <laughs> so you're saying she wasn't really operating the vehicle. Right. She was just drifting down the road. You know? <laughs> I'm sure if she has a good attorney, they're going to go and, and work that one. Yeah, Dave's saying, if only you had a little Italian captain. <laughs> uh, she reportedly also taunted the police from the water, saying, what are you going to do now? And I believe this is out of your jurisdiction. <laughs> the BBC reports it took authorities about an hour to catch the free-floating ferry. Boy, you can read that so many ways. Uh, Whelan later pled guilty to aggravated vehicle talking. That's a, that's a crime, aggravated vehicle talking and was sentenced on Wednesday to 112 days in prison. Uh, so I guess uh, walking the plank was out. Oh, huh. aggravated vehicle taking. Taking? Am I just reading that wrong? I need I may, taking. Yes, 
I don't know why I said that was talking. It seems funnier when you say talking, though. I'm sure that's why I looked it up and said, what? <laughs> Aggravated vehicle taking. That doesn't even sound. Is that like their version of Grand Theft Auto or Grand Theft Boat? I like the last part. I think she should have walked the plank. Yeah. I mean, she's Jack Sparrow. They could have done that. Heck yeah. Oh, where are they? Okay, well, that does it for Scuba in the News. And we're going to go into some videos of the week. I say videos because there's more than one. Uh, the first one is one that I posted yesterday, thanks to Dave, who put me on to it. Uh, so it kind of goes in with our pirate theme. And if you're listening before the show, I played a snippet of it. But if you want to hear the video, you have to go to divevideos.scubaobsessed.com. The song is Shipwrecked. And a little bit of heavy metal meets uh, squeeze box, I guess, would be the term. Here, I'll paste in the chat room so they can be distracted. Interesting video. A catchy song. I actually had to buy the song today. Maybe I'll play it at the end of the show. Let everybody listen to about 10 or 15 seconds of it. But head on over there to Scuba Obsessed. Also, we have uh, another video, which was kind of an article. This one was uh, thanks to Mac for finding this one during the week. The giant German Luftwaffel. It's not waffle. It's waffle, isn't it? Yes, waffle. I always want to say waffle. Everything ties back to food, food or drink. Uh, so the giant German Luftwaffe aircraft wreck was found. And this one was off of Italy. And they had thought that this particular vintage of plane, I'm going to paste this in the chat room. You might have to fix these links. For some reason, my browser's wrapping the stuff kind of funny. And then the Daily Mail out of the UK had a good article, kind of a follow-up for the video. So we've got a video on the, on the dive website where you can, the dive video website, where you can actually see the video. And then here's the story about it. The giant German aircraft was shot from the skies while delivering tanks and weaponry to the battlefield during the Second World War. Now, that's something about this plane, isn't it, Mac? It's uh, a little bit larger than your normal uh, Cessna? Yeah, that's about the biggest one they had in existence at that time. It was a Measure Schmidt 323, and it was called the Giant. You figure it was 180-foot span, six engines, weighed 45 tons, and could carry 120 fully equipped soldiers. That's pretty good, even by the day standard. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah, Mac, you're saying I'm echoing. I think what, for me, uh, turned something off other computer. I may be getting picked up by another mic. Yeah, we lost your audio there. How about now? Is that better? Yep. Much better. Came back. Yeah. Okay, well, we fixed that one. I just have to remember that one for last week, what that fix was. But, uh, it is the largest land-based transport aircraft in the world. It is on its way from the Tuscan city of Pistola, from its German base in uh, Sardinia, where it was hit by a Bristol Bowfighter plane in July of 1943. Now, Mac, you said the video, they had other plane wrecks kind of interspersed in with the video? One of the engines I was looking at looks like another measurement. It doesn't look like the engine cowling for that, for that aircraft. So I'm curious if they... Has a, have another aircraft in there. Oh, well, that'd be interesting. And I'm surprised. I mean, what you're going to see, that one shot I really liked is when they came down. You could see the left wing and the three engines. Mm-hmm. Considering that the wings and stuff, it was a mixture of tube and fabric with plywood and fabric wings. That's still amazing how much you've got down there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, very good condition. Now, was the spruce goose that Hughes made about the same time period? Oh, let's remember. Matter of fact, it would be in that vintage. I thought Spruce Goose was in the 50s. Well, uh, vintage 40s, 40 to 50, now that you said that, though. Yeah, so that so that means that was post-war, where this is during the war. Yeah. So at, up to this point, this is probably the biggest plane flying. I know the Russians always like two-gear planes. Oh, yeah, they, they did make a, a few large, large ones. Uh, you go too big with a plane, you're just trying to make up for something. Okay, and then the last video is one that I just added. I'll paste that one into the chat room. That Mac, that's the one that you sent to me earlier today, and that was just—it's it, it, a potpourri of video. It's—I wouldn't say I it, mean, just, it smells nice. Yeah, potpourri. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a nice scent to it. Uh, and again, I think they put the name on it just because they wanted me to try and pronounce it. Dewaka's Garden underwater footage from Fiji and Tonga. Is that supposed to be Fiji? F-I-J-I, Fija, is that, a, is that a real place? But either way, it's just amazing video. It runs, oh, let's see, how long did I got on that? 
Uh, that one is about four minutes, 50 seconds. But if you have some friends who say, why in the world would you go diving? That is one to show them because that's an example of all the different things you can see underwater. Also, I like the fact that they actually show divers in it. A lot of these videos where they get too artsy, they don't show any divers. And this one, if you're into underwater photography or videography, you can see different setups. And those guys have dropped a little bit of coin on those cameras in the video. Can I do a quick edit real quick? Sure. The Spruce Goose had four engines on each wing, and that was 1947 when it made its flight. Okay. This is a side Yeah, because if I remember something, it was like it was something he was trying to produce during the war, and then the war right. ended, and then he completed it anyway, even though the government said to stop because he just wanted to prove it could be done. Correct. He wanted to be able to transport men and materials across the ocean because the Germans were sinking too many Allied ships. And this would have helped minimize that issue. Yeah. Well, it just makes you think of how Dave, aviation. Our, uh, Go ahead, Jim. I was just going to say, Dave, our resident Google expert, informed me that on you know, November 2nd, 1947, was the first and only flight of the Spruce Goose. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it didn't fly that far. It just kind of went up out of the water, scooted a few, I don't know, half a mile or so, and then. Yeah. I saw the out. video on that, or not the video, but the original pictures. Uh-huh. And depending on who you who you talk to, since Howard was at the, at the controls, was it was designed, he was just going to taxi it, but it was trimmed so well, it just took off by itself. Oh, yep, yep. I like those those shows. Those are the type of shows I watch on TV, drives my wife nuts. Well, it's like the, the Phoenix. You ever see the story of the Phoenix? No. There's work, and then it's heavy. The Phoenix is the one that you already saw where they were out in the middle of the desert and uh, the airplane crashed and they're all trying to rebuild the airplane out of or make a new airplane out of the parts. You never heard or never saw the flight of the Phoenix? No. The flight of the Phoenix. Wow. No, I'll well, have to. The point of my story, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a newer one than the original, but and they're actually very good. Both of them are good. But if you look at the first time that was filmed, meaning in the old days, not the modern version, the aircraft, they did, they built it and they flew it. And they have pictures of it and they used that in, in the in the movie. And the director did not like, he wanted more footage of it. So they pick it up again, crash and kill people. So they used the original footage of that. It's quite interesting. Hmm. Sidebar, sorry about that. Oh, no, no that's, that's interesting. Well, that does it for videos of the week. We have a little bit of feedback from Facebook. If you remember, I don't know if we talked about at the show or after the show, but the Woodstock anchor that was raised on the east side of the lake, St. Clair. Yes. Well, Ed Johnstick on Facebook said that the Woodstock anchor was lost due to a collision. He said that's why the hose pipe was still attached to the chain. 50 feet of the anchor was complete was complete, oh, 50 feet from the anchor was a complete windlass. Well, that would be nice to get a windlass. Yeah, it seems like if you raise the anchor, grab the windlass with. Or maybe they already have, and then they just showed the picture of the, the anchor. <laughs> so we had that, So uh, and that was on Facebook. If you go to facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed, you can like our Facebook site. And we have uh, we we do updates throughout the week on that. We also have, post uh, links to our show notes as well as the videos as they become available. And uh, via Facebook, we also had another letter, and it says, "Hello, I discovered you guys on Stitcher. Great podcast, by the way." He says, "A question. I was listening to episode 129 when you guys were talking about river dive, and someone mentioned the light Bob has is a 25 watt LED that lights up the bottom like the sun." You guys said he had seen it at the trade show, and that's why he bought it. Can you please get me the name of the light? Thanks. Keep up the good work. And that was Michael. And uh, I did a little bit of searching. I called Bob, and uh, he said the dive light is a Titan Hydro Light. It's a 25-watt, 10-watt dive light. And Titan also makes rebreathers. I don't know how the rebreathers are, but Bob and Kurt both have bought the dive light, and they're quite happy with it. Uh, one of the reasons Michael said that he was asking the question is he was planning a night diver this weekend and he wanted to pick one up. They're a little crazy. Yeah, I think they're... The, the, the nice thing about something that's new, especially on the LED front, is that LEDs are advancing at quite a rapid rate. And if you've got a product you're making, you're going to be tempted to not have to re-engineer it every time something new comes out. So some of the yeah. newer dive lights are taking advantage of the 
efficiencies in manufacturing and just the brightness. I mean, it is unbelievable how bright some of these LEDs are and how that one goes from a 10 to a 25. You can buy a 25-watt version but or a 10-watt version, but the 25-watt, when you flip it to 10, it goes from nine LEDs down to three. Uh, Bob says he just keeps it on uh, the 25-watt because most of his dives aren't that long where he's got to worry about the battery. So he's got when the you one. got it on it. Yeah, yeah, you're going to use it. And, and it is nice diving with him when he's got that, not even so much for looking, but you can always find Bob with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just you know, It's kind of like when you're out in the woods at night video. and see the light reflecting from the city off in the distance. That's kind of Bob in the water. Well, I've got video of him when we were on the Cedarville with that light. And I swear, if a helicopter flew overhead with one of those lights on the helicopter and he's shown his light back, I think he might win. <laughs> Sounds like he might be in a little bit of trouble with the FAA as well. That's only laser. Oh, that's only lasers. Extremely bright lights don't count. Yeah, they get really tight about lasers. <laughs> So you can visit our website at www.scubobsess.com, and we'll have the show notes posted uh, usually a couple days after the podcast goes up. As uh, Michael had mentioned, you can also listen to us on Stitcher. If you do, you can go to the Scuba Obsessed website. There's a Stitcher link. You click on that, and if you're prompted, just enter Scuba in the field there, and that will get you the download to the application so you can get Stitcher on your iOS device which just came out with version 6, or you can also get it on your Android. Hey, that uh, Scuola light mm-hmm. is only $890 direct from the manufacturer. Yeah. As we always say, support your local dive center, but if but that's that's pretty attractive, uh, $800? $890. $890. $890. Uh, I wonder if that's sale. come down, because I, I want to say that it was, I mean, Bob didn't necessarily tell us exactly what he paid, but... Uh, yeah, in the chat room, somebody said $1,100, and I think I remember it was about $1,100 or $1,200. Yeah. I, I want to say that Bob and Kurt were trying to sell their old lights for about that price. No. Oh, they, they said the $890 does not include the battery. Yeah, I'll have to go back and look at that. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to pay $900 for a light, and you're not going to give me any battery? Well, maybe you already got a battery. Why would you, why, I don't know, maybe you're going to ship it to a place where they, you can't, or a shipping company won't do batteries, I, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the battery's the only thing survived out of your previous light and you wanted to save it, keep it, I don't know. Uh, but you're right, it doesn't say anything about it, including a battery. It'll give you a charger, but not a battery. Huh. <laughs> Does it use a normal battery, I wonder? How would you not? Define normal battery. Well, I'm like, you can go to the store and buy it. <laughs> You know, I got a Walmart or a Target. I mean, well, let's see. I, I'm picturing it. Ah, the 120 really watt battery pack is only another six hundred dollars. <laughs> so it does it's, Yeah, you may want to buy it with the battery. So it makes it. That's a kind of the the battery's not included. Battery's not included. Yeah. Okay, so that's dive lights. So let's get to the part of the show where we talk about any diving we did in the last week. So, Mac, uh, you're still laid up from what I understand. Yeah, I'm still laid up. I know that Bob had got, was looking for people to dive Wednesday night on Havana. And if that didn't go through, they were looking to do it on Friday evening, uh, where they'd get some people who might be able to do it so they could keep 10 on the water. I know the weather was pretty choppy the other day, so I'm not, not sure what it was today, though. Yeah. Well, I was talking to him a little bit ago, and I thought it was Saturday for the van. I guess I need to call him back. Right. And I know they did die at the uh, Wreck of the South End on uh, Diamond Lake. Yeah, they did that. Yep. Yep. I think they had a new diver, and they thought it would be a nice location for somebody to get started on one of their foot or wreck dives. They anticipated the visibility to be better, and that sucked pretty good. Yeah, I don't know about Diamond Lake, which drives that, if if that was weather-related or season-related. I don't really know. I know... It's 60% really, really shallow, and then you got that one section off to the island, which is 50 feet deep or something. So I'm not sure exactly why the biz was lousy. Yeah, hard to tell. Well, I got out of Max Wreck with a couple people from the Underwater Preserve, and uh, we did a little uh, measurements and determined that our hull is uh, about five feet down. Uh, the centerboard trunk's about five feet down in the middle. 
uh, we now have an idea of how much uh, sand we need to move. And how much sand would that be? Uh, one hell of a lot. <laughs> so more than a teaspoon? Well, let's see. If you figure 80 feet long by 20 feet wide by 5 feet deep, that's 80 times 5 times 20. Click somebody in the chat room. Nobody's got and it. If you take the whole shape out of it and use a 50% factor, uh, that's still a few truckloads. Big truckloads. It's only 2,000, isn't it? <laughs> Dave in the chat room is saying they that they can do it in nine hours. Can do it. Six divers, two, two dredges can do it nine hours a day on thirty-six <laughs> percent. You know, is that is that kind of like uh, what was that old game show? Uh, the right name that tune. Do you like bid whoever? Yeah, <laughs> I can do that in nine hours. Wow. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think Dave, the correct term is as you said, a shitload of sand. Nine hours. Now that would be that would be impressive if you could do that in two hours. I think you'd have to have a little bit more serious dredges than what I've seen in the area. Yeah, I think we're going to need some uh, big dredges. But I'm I'm for it. But that that'd be amazing if you could move that much. Because if you could move, if you could do that, say in a day of diving, nine hours, you could expose that. Then that would free you up to do outside the wreck. Yeah, well, once you get the, the sand out of the wreck and open it up, I think it'll be a lot easier to maintain it. Well, if you look at Havana as an example, the Havana is quite a bit down below the surface, and I think it's just because of the currents. Once it hits the wreck, it opens it up. But then but then you wonder, how did the wreck get to be the way it is? Because from what you seem to have found with probing, that's indicating that the wreck hull is probably still intact. And that's well, let, me, let me check the centerboard. I mean, they're right around one area. I've got to do more probing with it. Uh, the problem was we had the probe. You know, the one probe I had was only four feet long, and that was not hitting bottom. So now that we've got a uh, probe that will go deeper, we're able to hit bottom a little more. And so I hope you to, hit bottom with a four-foot probe. We'll just have to get out and uh, try to move a little more sand. I'm for that. Next year, we're we're really looking to put a big, big push to moving sand on this wreck. Uh, trying to get some uh, local colleges to sponsor some archaeology classes and scuba classes and combine them and draw from a number of different schools. Uh, we've got a connection now with the University of Notre Dame helping us to do some analysis on uh, the wreck itself and some other wreckage that came up near shore. So we're uh, we're making some progress with this thing. I spent a good part of uh, my lunch hour today doing some research on a possible and need to hit the National Archives in Chicago again and then get back over to uh, Bowling Green State University. So, hey, there, there's a call out. If we've got any Ohio divers who are close to Bowling Green State University and can do some research for us there, I've got some materials I'd like you to research if you would. There are divers in Ohio? I hear of a few. Huh. I wouldn't have put that together. Well, certainly, I think... Uh... They they could definitely do some footwork for us over there at Bowling Green. You got an excellent resource. If you're in Ohio, Bowling Green, I'd be spending my weekends there if I wasn't diving. Ouch. <laughs> oh, so well, White Stars in Ohio. Yeah. So and there's it, old, uh, Gibsonburg. I think that's in there. Yeah, I think some of the best quarries around are in Ohio. Yeah, they, the they, best, they all the best quarries around are in Ohio. Yep. They all go to Michigan and dive. <laughs> well, you know when you when you've got. The Great Lakes. Now, Ohio touches the Great Lakes, don't they? Yeah, Ohio Somewhere. has a Great Lake, you know. Eerie. Not sure how great it is. <laughs> You're saying it's uh, not not as great? That was, that was a dig. Sorry about that. Oh. Hey, water's water. It's got boats in it. That's all you want. Hey, we, we, we dive in mud puddles, so it's all That's good. That's true. We do the river. They got Erie. Erie's better than the river sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Well, Maybe. Maybe. Not our river. Yeah. Well, speaking of the river, I was doing some research this last Saturday until U of M cut me off for chewing up too much bandwidth. But I was pulling up some old uh, surveys of the of the river, just comparing times, and that was very interesting. I'm gonna eventually. It's probably gonna take me a month to get all the the downloads, but I was getting them at the highest resolution. Uh, they are doing. They worked with part of the Google project and are have digitized many of the almanacs in the state of Michigan as they've gone through. So. Uh, and and it, it makes things a little bit different. Stuff that I thought was fairly natural, evidently at some point in time it wasn't natural. 
we seem to have uh, not be not have been shy at one point of our history of just cutting canals wherever we wanted for whatever purpose we needed. Sounds right. Yeah, like the uh, the ship canal that went to Benton Harbor. I thought that was natural, and it's not. Oh no. So I guess in one aspect, when you kind of cry that they buried it in, it, it wasn't natural in the first place. So really, you know, it's more historical than natural. So do you know anything about that, Mac? That that ship canal was that that was built just to make it easier for the people to load. That's back where the Morton and Graham steamship line was at the all the way in. Yeah, that's the Water Street. Basin for that was where the parking lot is behind Whirlpool. Yeah. Meaning the Whirlpool where Jim worked or used to work a couple of years ago. Yeah. And they filled that the uh, canal in because they wanted more parking downtown back when it was booming back in the uh, 60s. Uh-huh. Now when everything went to heck in a handbasket and it's reviving itself down there now. They're talking about redigging that canal back out. I think that makes sense. I mean, everybody loves a good boat. But just the, the fact that, I mean, to me, if I was running boats, that seems like an awful lot of effort. But I, I guess we got to remember they didn't have cars. You were mass transit. So if you bring the boat into the center of the population, it probably well, makes it easier. That's where the Chicora used to be docked. Right there. Now, yeah, I guess if it's under steam power, it could get in. But it seems like if it was, if you're talking back in the sail days, that would be a, a lot of work where they probably towed a line. Oh, they would tow. I got some nice pictures of the boats back there. I'd love to see that. I'll send you one a little bit. Yeah. So, so I'll do doing some more research on the river, but it gives us some good idea of uh, good places to dive. And then uh, this weekend, I've got uh, potential for a couple dives coming up. We've got Bob is talking about doing a night dive, one of the nights. And then Jim, you're talking about going out and doing another dive this weekend, aren't you? Yeah, I uh, don't know if the weather's going to be cooperating. Looks like it's going to be pretty rough out there, but yeah. In fact, I'm going to jump away for a minute and just see what the weather forecast is for the weekend. Cool. Yeah, uh, Dave in the chat room is saying you guys lost a steamship museum, and what he's referring to is the one that was out of Saugatuck, which now I'm drawing a name block, the Kewatin. Kewatin, yep. Yep, and uh, that one, see, I, I can remember going to that one as a kid. My grandfather had, uh, built a marina that was just across the river from the Kiwatin. And then I lived in Douglas, which is where the Kiwatin was up. But, yeah, they uh, towed that one out. And I was kind of wondering if they're going to be able to get it out of there because they weren't even sure if it was still floating or it was resting on the bottom. But Well, it floated out. It, it did float out. They they dredged it. They, they pulled it out, and it's now up in Canada. Uh, or I guess it was, I don't know if it was where it was originally made or one of the ports of call, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to be doing any lake diving this weekend. No, the weather's looking kind of rough. Saturday winds out of the west at 25 knots, waves six foot and increasing. Saturday night, they're calling for nine to 10 foot waves out of the west, northwest. Mm. And Sunday, six to eight foot waves uh, with winds 15 knots out of the northwest. Hmm. Yeah. That's sounding a little bit like uh, there won't be any diving this weekend. I don't think Saturday night's going to be a good night to go try to do the Havana unless you're going to try to do it on the submarine. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We need a submarine that goes out and goes that way. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, and it, and that's just to be expected this time of year. You know, we're good hitting September, which leads into November. Look at it. I mean, Might just of... have to hit the river this weekend. Oh, yeah. Now, Mac, uh, are you getting closer to dive condition? Well, Sorry. I'd like to say that. I mean, I can move around. I just can't do a lot of weight on that on the hip. The hip is my issue right now. I got to get that resolved. Okay. Sorry, oh. my Skype dropped out again. We just might have to do some river driving this weekend. Yep. I could not believe I went across the bridge today, and the river is even lower than it has been. Certainly. Well, if it's, I mean, we haven't had any rain, so unless they're playing with the dams and opening them up any upstream, this is some of the best current in the world to be diving in. Yeah, that's true. I was comment here. It might be a good weekend to head to uh, one of the quarries in Ohio. Huh. I mean, that, that, I mean, that would be good to have planned. I don't know if I can go and do it this weekend, but certainly would like to get wet one way or another, make sure everything all works. 
Yeah, Dave's saying, come on down the White Star. Well, that, that'd be good. Yeah. Now, if I do that, Dave, I'll tie it in with a trip to Bowling Green. But the problem is the research library is not open on Saturday. Well, I, I talked to Jim Kleeman, and uh, he, he's wanting to get down to White Star, too. And he was talking about doing it yet this, this fall. So there there may be some possibilities of, of getting up there. And then I've got, uh, we got the Cooper River Dive coming up here in October. So I even thought about something along those times as well. The Dive Saturday, Research Sunday. Yeah, they're not open on Sunday either. Maybe they're thinking of a different... picture of the ship canal. Oh, okay. Maybe they're thinking of a uh, different type of research on Sunday. Do, do, does Ohio have bars open on Sunday? Yeah, Monday through Friday for the library. Okay, well, we'll we'll keep you informed. We'll let you know next week what we end up doing with Dive, and hopefully we can get something in. If not, then it might be a good research weekend. Uh, and then we did have a Mud Club meeting this week, which uh, Bob, the current and future in perpetuity club president, is that what we're saying? Uh, he uh, did talked about uh, cold weather wetsuit diving, so that was a nice topic. Uh, hopefully we had a couple of the newer members who found some value in that. It's always good to go through a little bit of memory in that and, and we probably should do an episode now or we could even talk about it a little bit tonight one of the tricks if you're going to dive in cold weather is keep diving you, you can't stop and then wait eight weeks and then get back in the water you got to dive got to keep the that suit stretched out well, you, yeah you don't want it to dry out but then also do you want to go from diving in 60 degree water to diving in 40 degree water or do you want to ease into it and then as you ease into it you start replacing what is getting you cold and uh, so some of the stuff is going to be gloves, hood, boots. Those are going to be the things that you're going to want to replace. And, you know, if you've placed your gloves, so you're getting from five-finger gloves to three-fingers gloves, uh, if you're still getting cold hands, then that's telling you you're losing heat someplace else. So, And then do I did I hear correctly and that the new Fusions dry suit is ready to be announced? I think I've seen some posts out uh, from White's on that. That I haven't seen. I've yeah. been waiting for it. Yeah, I think you know, maybe, uh, maybe that's what I'll do this weekend: is fill my dry suit up with air and see if I can find all the pinhole leaks that are getting soaking wet. <laughs> That'd be that's cool. a novel idea. They <laughs> says the Fusion One is out. Yeah, Fusion One MSRP is nine ninety nine. Uh, that's a back zip wetsuit similar to the uh, the Fusion Tech or the Fusion Bullet or the Fusion Sport. Those are front zips. This one's a back zip, but nine ninety nine. Is it nine ninety nine, or is it? Did I see it less? That for some reason I thought I saw it less than that, but maybe it is nine ninety nine. Full kit is fourteen hundred. So if you check out your local uh, whites dry suit. Also in the chat room, Dave uh, pasted a link saying that Trident has a recall. This is the Alf hose. It's a safety recall for the high pressure gauge hose. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. Failure mode is the hose can burst, detach from the crimp fitting that attaches the first stage. Winner, if this occurs, breathing air gas lets out of the tank uncontrolled rate and may result in serious injury or death due to drowning. So they give you all the instructions. And it looks like a, a braided, and not quite a MyFlex type of hose, a little bit thicker than that. But uh, So they'll give you all the details in that. And that twice it was nine ninety nine. Wow. They sent the link for the item. And here's another recall. Innovative Scuba Concepts Phantom Braided High Pressure Hose Recall. Hmm. Uh, similar type of hose. Could it be they were made in the same plant? <laughs> and I like the clarification. He says, uh, it's the high pressure hose. It just means poop in the drawers, slow air loss, and end of the dive. <laughs> well, before we get to the end of the show, you have anything to plug, Dave? Uh, not Dave, uh, Jim or Mac? Well, I know Jim's got to talk about a particular trash and treasure trash dive. And treasure dive at Moby's. That's, That's right. right. We're definitely going to plug the 7th Annual Trash and Treasure Dive at Moby's, Saturday, September the 29th in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We're looking to get as many divers there as we can. There, There's a rumor that we're going to get a guest appearance by the infamous Matt. Wow. He may not be diving, but he will be available to the, well, he may, the rumor says he may be available to sign autographs and, and for photos. Hmm. Autographs and photos. Now, is he, is he wearing the mermaid suit this time? You're just going to have to wait and see. Okay. Anybody in the chat room? Yeah, they're, they're about signing autographs. 
Okay, well, I think we're to that point of the show. Now, I've got two jokes, and I'm not quite sure which one to do. You like <clears throat> that diver on the bus was good. Yeah, I've got that one. I've got that one, so I could do that. Let's see, does it need to be? Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, I can do that one. I can do that one, or I have, uh, maybe I'll, say, I'll let that one age. Maybe let that one go a little while. I have one just in honor of the dive club that we just had. So everybody hold on. I'll warn you now, it is exceptionally bad. Cover your kids' ears and get ready. A double groaner? Oh, it could be. It could be. I, I had this one ready for the last two weeks, and then we've, so we've let it. Uh, oh, it has but definitely uh, uh, mellowed, huh? It should be ready. Two women friends had gone out for a girls' night out and had been decidedly over-enthusiastic on cocktails, incredibly drunk, and walking home, they suddenly realize that they both need to pee. They're very near a graveyard, and one of them suggested they do their business behind a headstone or something. The first woman had nothing to wipe with, so she used her panties. She used them and then threw them off. Her friend, however, was wearing expensive underwear set and didn't want to ruin them. So lucky enough uh, to salvage a large ribbon from a wreath that was on a grave and proceeded to wipe herself with that. After finishing, they made their way home. The next day, the first woman's husband phones the other husband and said, those damn girls had their night out again, and this has got to stop. My wife came home last night without her panties. That's nothing, said the, the other. Mine came back with a sympathy card stuck between her cheeks of her butt and said, from all us at the dive club, we'll never forget you. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we made uh, it easier. Uh, that sounds like a good thing. This is a, a, a great way for tonight's podcast to end. <laughs> so if we never see it again, it's been great. <laughs> so until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And remember, no potpourri was harmed in the making of tonight's podcast. Call recording has been completed. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I think we got a boo hiss on that one. You <laughs> only got well, one. You a double groaner. Yeah, I warned mm. you. Yeah, redeem yourself now and go to the uh, diver on the bus next week. Yeah. Hey, oh, Mac, yeah. are you in the, uh, the chat room? No. Okay. Well, we still have guest seven. Oh, that's right. Know. Mac was guest eight. Guest seven was our guest from uh, Milwaukee. Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't say anything through the whole chat. He probably it was just probably than, like our joke. Other than letting us know. I'm sorry, guess seven was Port Huron. Oh, Port Huron. Port Huron, yeah. Up where they do the Superman dives. Lying oh, down the river. The Great place. Hope to get up there and do a Port Huron dive soon sometime. Yeah. So are you still with us, guess seven? I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if like the keyboard broke or something. I know I had to log out and log back in. Because his ears are bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dave, you're, 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 you have ear problems going on, don't you? Yeah, I've had a real rough week. It's uh, It's been hard to do anything. I was actually, today was my first day back to work all week. Ooh, you had the flu? I have no idea what it was, but it sucked. Yeah, it, that's been going around here. The last couple of weeks, they had one school started, and they had massive sickness first week. Yeah, it's bad enough that uh, last Sunday we were doing some work in the quarry, recovering some stuff, and I volunteered to be surface support. 